Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So happy you could join me. Excited to talk about this week and a lot of interesting topics. I hope they're interesting to me. We'll start with that. So the first one, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, the first one is about, of course, COVID-19. We continue to follow this. I feel like I've dedicated the first half of the podcast over and over again to COVID, but such a changing landscape. Uh, We went from not a lot of concern to a lot of concern to vaccinations being available. And now it's just reopening. How do you do that? What kind of policies do you have in place? We're starting to see some of the fallout from a lot of the work that has happened. I know a lot of people criticized OSHA for not being fast enough, not giving enough guidance, not being on the forefront of what should be happening there. And so now we're seeing some of the fallout at the end because certainly, I mean, I just read a study that they're from their highest level of staffing. They're about 22% down uh, OSHA from their highest staffing ever to where they are currently. And so they they can't keep up, um, especially with this flood of information that's coming in. So they're they're working hard to get caught up, I'm sure. So we're going to see more and more of this. This one came from Cal OSHA, so usually Oregon, California. We'll see those areas go first. A little bit more progressive with their safety standards and enforcement. And then we'll see kind of trickle out through the rest of the country. They're usually the kind of that leading edge of some policy creation um, and also where do fines come from. So this one here was a food company and their staffing agency. Uh, $181,000 of various serious repeat, and uh, they even claim some willful fines based on COVID-19. So this is an interesting one from the standpoint of looking at the idea that, okay, the company, of course, is has its reporting duties. And a lot of people, I'm not going to say a lot, I'm going to say that it does happen to where a lot of companies forget that it's about who supervises the day-to-day work of the person. And if you have to take shared control under the reporting laws. So a staffing agency in most cases are helping you find people. And then your team at the local company level supervises them because the staffing agency doesn't know how to supervise for every company they send people to. Um, 
Sure, you might have an on-site staffing person, but they're not the day-to-day supervision. And remember, day-to-day supervision isn't attendance. It's not writing someone up for safety issues. Supervision is the person that understands the job and can tell them what to do and where to go and how to do it. And that's generally speaking, almost all the time, the company. And so you have that shared responsibility. Now, that doesn't absolve the staffing agency of doing their due diligence. They can't say, well, we just hire them in and hand them over to the company. It's up to the company. This is a 100% partnership to protect people from harm. And in some ways, it's... I find it a little bit worse at times when it's a staffing person because both companies kind of treat it as that intermediary. Like, well, they should be caring about the person. No, they should be caring about the person. We should be caring about the person. Uh, I say that so much and it resonates very strong with me. Uh, I've worked with temporary agencies and I'll be honest, I've been on both sides of that. Um, Early in my career, uh, when, you know, I was starting out and I was really regulatory focused, I was safety cop, um, RoboCop, but because it was safety, I was doing safety things. I, I was like, okay, they're a temp, get out, move on. If you can't do the job, it's time to hit the road. No, no, so wrong. And I was so young. Um, and I was thinking that reducing injuries through managing injuries was, the way that you uh, made your life there in the safety world. And and there's still a lot out there with that philosophy, unfortunately. Uh, Manage the OSHA log and everything will be fine. No, we have to manage the process. We have to help prevent harm from coming to people. That's our goal. That's our, that's our whole role in what we do. And it took me, it took me a little bit of time to wake up and realize that and really start developing uh, that care And it doesn't come naturally sometimes for some people. It takes a little bit of thought process to look beyond. And so here we have this, uh, I'll get back on topic here. Sorry about that. So here we have these uh, temporary workers that, and some of it was based on fatalities from COVID-19. Now that has been a whole nother world of things that not fully understood of, is it work-related COVID-19? And again, did you do your due diligence as the employer Did you do your due diligence? Did you review? Did you investigate? Did you take precautionary measures? A lot of it was based on just doing what you can or doing what is best. The the idea of ignoring it and doing nothing uh, was not the option. And that's the option that gets you in trouble or got this company in trouble especially. Um, so what's interesting also is that the staffing agency has changed names uh, a few times over the years, and they have a history of having issues with OSHA. And now, in California, there is the Injury and Illness Prevention Plan, which basically says you need to look at your injury trends, and you need to find a prevention method for what you're seeing as a trend. So even if it's not covered under OSHA, if it's not a regulatory requirement, If you were seeing injuries because of this trend or this event or this device or this culture, you should have a plan in some form or fashion that will address those injuries. And so when we're looking at COVID-19 and having hit under the I2P2 regulation, um, it says that 
it kind of screams out very, very loud that there wasn't a whole lot of do. There wasn't a whole lot of effort put in behind it to protect, to record, to do things that uh, should have been, generally speaking, something to keep your business open, that if you stayed open uh, as a required or necessary employer, you, you had to take some precautions there. And this one really screams out that maybe those precautions were not taken. Of course, that's going to be, I'm sure there'll be some informal and maybe further, but we'll see. But again, as a staffing, and if you're using temporary workers to become full-time at some point, or maybe you just need some temporary workforce uh, because you've had an influx of work, great. But they're part of the team. They are part of our team. They're part of two teams. They're part of the. And if your staffing agency doesn't care about their people, that's a concern too. That's not a good staffing agency. If you care about your people and they don't, um, that's a concern. And maybe you need a different staffing agency because they should care too and they should pressure you. I've worked with a great staffing agency like that where we were having some injuries. They were in my office every week, sometimes multiple times a week, talking about what we were going to do to reduce injuries. And we did it together. Um, it was hard. It was a lot of work. But we did it. Um, and it takes time. And it takes care. So anyway, there we go. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox on that one for a little while. And uh, we'll come back after the break here. And we'll carry on with the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, thanks for joining me. Uh, really happy that you uh, are with me and listening. Thank you for that. So the next one, uh, this one here came from the Washington Post, and it absolutely blasts Amazon.com and the warehouse conditions and their injury rates. And uh, it was kind of hard to ignore this article. It popped up in a number of uh, my things that I normally read about safety to keep up to date with what's happening in the news with safety and OSHA and all that stuff. And so this one here, um, if you go to the Washington Post, it's out there um, and it, it covers a lot. They've done a pretty in-depth investigation, starting with just basic OSHA data. And then they interview some workers um, and talk about some of their injuries and talk about what's happening. Now, we saw a lot of articles come out about the uh, the UK area, especially with Amazon early on a few years ago, if I recall, there were some articles about working conditions there. And now we're, we're having some articles here. I am going to pause and I am going to make a full disclosure statement as I should. Yes, I did work for Amazon. Uh, I worked there for two years. It's been a few years ago since I've been part of the organization. 
I will not give my opinion. I have no intention of getting into that quagmire of mess uh, by giving any opinion on this. I simply want to bring up this article because I'm going to lead into something else that is important to me. Uh, But it's a very prominent article, so it's kind of hard not to address it. Usually I try to stay away uh, from things that I am involved in directly because it does get a little hazy. And um, I don't want to get in any trouble because I'm pretty sure I've signed some documents at some point that says I probably shouldn't talk about it. So I'm only going to stick to the facts. I'm only going to talk about this article. And I'm going to move into what I actually want to talk about. So this article, they look at the injury rates and they talk about there's really uh, private employers out there. There is Amazon at number two, Walmart at number one. And Amazon is more than double the injury rate of Walmart. So when we talk about rate, that takes hours into account. So it's it, it does kind of uh, level the playing field. So it's double. And they talk about uh, all the, the injuries that are going on and how some of the team members out there have trouble uh, getting help when they need it. And all the severe injuries, they talk about the severe injuries that are in there and um, just the lifting, the overall lifting process. So this is where I'm really going with this is there's always in the safety world. And a lot of people get very frustrated with repetitive strain injuries and ergonomics. And when an, a team member comes up and says, you know, I'm just hurting today and I don't know why it's not like I was lifting anything weird today or doing anything strange. Now there's always that thing about safe lifting. We want to use those big muscles. We don't want to twist, man. That's bad. You want to look where you're going, stay neutral. Uh, You only want to lift what you can handle. I mean, there's, there's basic uh, lifting safety tips out there that anyone can mind, but what happens over the course of a long term? where you're constantly engaging muscles, whether it be anywhere from low weight to moderate weight over and over and over. And at a, uh, what they call here is a very fast paced environment. Um, what does that do? And does it create those micro strains? And that's something there's been in some medical research out there about this. And I do believe it's true that you just slowly over time fatigue certain muscle parts. Cause I've been there, especially as I've gotten older <laughs> <laughs> everything pops and cracks, but you might do some heavy work one day. Um, I live kind of ish on a farm, um, type area. I mean, we have some animals, we have quite a bit of land we have to take care of and there'll be weekends that I have to put a lot of effort into doing some work around here. And then it'll be like two or three days later, I'll be doing something silly, uh, that shouldn't hurt me at all. And all of a sudden I'm in just pain. Oh my gosh, what have I done? I need to go sit down. <laughs> And it's that effect of that we fatigue the muscles. Maybe they're not um, they're not healed yet from that work, or they're constantly having those micro strains. So at some point, you have an event, and it may be something that is unremarkable that creates that injury. Um, and, and that's something we have that's really hard to grasp in the safety world because everybody is different. Uh, you have those that are maybe very active, that do a lot of exercise, that work out, that try to keep fit. You have those maybe in between. You have those who don't. You have those who are just genetically ready to work better. There's just so much about environmental and genetics and and body movements and mechanisms and education and reminders that create this. And it's not exactly a ticking time bomb. 
and, and what it kind of feels like at times is that you're just creating this and you're just waiting for it, but not really. Some people can do this for forever and their body is going to recover faster and it's going to be okay and they're going to be good. And there's going to be a time maybe that it, it's not good anymore. And we deal with that as a safety professional. And I remember one of the greatest OSHA record-keeping talks I've ever gone to is that the guy stood up and said, number one, the OSHA record-keeping standard is not fair, period. Don't think it is. And if you're using it as your key measurable, you're using an unfair metric. Boom. So right there, it's all about what are you doing to get ahead of it? What kind of uh, health and wellness, what kind of processes, what kind of rest periods, what are you doing to create the overall health environment needed uh, to engage that team and to give the appropriate rest for that type of work potentially? But there's a lot of variables there. And I think this is something we'll continue to talk about and see because it's one of those great indicators of, of an interesting aspect of safety because in traditional safety, there's a lot you can do to prevent those acute things from happening. And that's what we're really good at problem solving for good reason, because usually there is a direct, easy, not easy to find, but a direct, if you ask the right questions, you follow the right process, you can find the solution. With these micro strains and these long-term sprains and strains, a little bit more difficult, a lot more factors involved in that process of learning and educating on that. And it's tough as a safety professional. I still struggle with that one because there is no clear cut, easy method, uh, to fix that. So it, there has been times where I've looked at my OSHA log and realized that, okay, I'm happy because we've, we've gotten rid of all the acute things, slips, trips, cuts, bruises, uh, fractures, amputations, things like that. But there were still a lot of these acute unknown, you know, one day I was just doing my normal job and I just, it, it hurt. It, it just started hurting. And that's a tough one. Uh, that's a really tough one for us to handle. So we are getting into summer. So uh, welcome to that warmer weather. The Memorial Day's past. So it's usually that beginning kickoff of summer. So the Red Cross put out some really neat facts about summer safety. So I do want to talk about that a little bit. So the first one is um, be careful when you're around water, especially with children. Uh, you want them to have the right life vests that are appropriate and fitting and will keep them safe. You want to monitor them around water because that's oh so dangerous and so quick that can happen. When you're using a barbecue, uh, don't add charcoal or starter fluid until it's been ignited. Be careful there. I like this one. Never grill indoors. Wow. Yeah, don't do that. That'd be bad. And keep it in the open. Make sure you keep a distance away from your kids and your pets uh, when you're grilling because, again, uh, the kids can get into it quicker than you can imagine. Just like that water safety, wearing that life vest and keeping an eye on them. It can happen quick. So anyway, thanks for joining me uh, on this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast. I look forward to the next time that we chat. Until then, stay safe.
Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.